Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. So I have this wonderful privilege of speaking to you today. So please, no heckling. No, no. If you heckle, you're, you're going out, okay? So I'm going to be talking to you today. This is, you know what, I'm very small, but this is still too, too high. A little bit lower. Okay, try this. Yeah, so I'm going to be talking today about how our circumstances and sometimes our choices, they can bring death into our lives and can cause us to feel far from God. But the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that we serve a God who is alive and speaks hope and life into our dead circumstances. So I'll be speaking a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus and how that transformed one of his disciples in particular. Any guesses as to who that disciple might be? Oh, oh, okay. Got, got a couple of ideas there. Let's see how we get on. So looking at Mark chapter 16. Can we have that on the screen, please, my dear brothers? So Mark 16, 1 to 7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, just want to just stop there, sorry. You know what, when you watch a horror movie, and like, you know, something's gonna happen, and they, they go into, like, why would they go in? I don't even know why they went in, but anyway, they went into the tomb. So as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And before they had a chance to run out and scream, he said, don't be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus, of Nazareth, of Nazareth, for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Let's say that again. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So as you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark for several months in our Sunday talks and Wednesday life group. And also Dave, our dear brother, has been imparting his wonderful wisdom to us through his Faith Roots podcast and through his blog. So now we've come to the last chapter of Mark. And as we've just read, Jesus is risen. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. This is important because the resurrection of Jesus is a central teaching of the gospel, which is also known as the good news. And that comes through the birth of Jesus, his sinless life, his death, and his resurrection. Without the resurrection, we have no basis at all for our Christian faith. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. The resurrection is not just a theory that God has told his children about. It's something that he actually demonstrated when he raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection proves to us that God has power over death. 
but not just over death. God has power over dead things, lifeless things. So not only is God the giver of life, God also has the power to speak life where there is no life. And he can speak hope where there's no hope. Sometimes situations around us can seem like they're dead, like they're bleak, like they're hopeless. We can't see a way out. But when we feel that we're hopeless, our God is the one who can cause us to be hopeful. So as we were told a few months ago, Mark is a very succinct, he's very succinct in his writing, keeps it short and snappy, gets straight to the point, doesn't beat around the bush. But what I found interesting when reading this particular account that we just read is that none of the other gospel writers included one particular detail. I don't know if, you can, if anybody knows what that is, but it's in verse 7. And it says, the angel says, go tell his disciples and Peter. None of the other writers mention that. So, you know, it was the angels. The angel was the one who said, you know, go tell his disciples and Peter. But the message wasn't coming from the angel. Angels are messengers. They generally carry messages from God. And sometimes they do other things. They have other functions. But one, one of their major functions is that they carry messenger, messages. So this angel carried a message from Jesus himself saying, call Peter. So it seems to me out of place to specifically point out one disciple. Why, why just Peter? But I think I've got an idea as to why that might be the case. So Peter was one of Jesus' inner circle of disciples, along with James and John. They were the ones who he took with him up to the mountain when he was transfigured. That's in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And they were the ones who he allowed to enter the house of Jairus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. That's in Luke chapter 8, verse 51. And when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was arrested... So he and Jesus, along with the other disciples, must have been really close. I'm sure they would have had countless hours together over the years of Jesus' ministry when Jesus would have been talking to them and, um, about the Father and revealing to them like mysteries and you know, things that you know, would have been there from like ages. You know, like he would have been talking to them about all these wonderful things. And Peter is actually the first person recorded in Scripture that speaks directly to Jesus and identifies him as the Son of God. It's also noted that um, Andrew recognised that Jesus was the Son of God as well, and he, he brought Peter along into the mix as well. And also John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there were other people, but Peter was the one that was recorded as saying to Jesus himself, You are the Son of God. So let's fast forward now to the day before Jesus was arrested. And Jesus warns that his disciples, sorry, Jesus warns his disciples that because of what's about to happen to him, they're all going to scatter. But Peter pipes up and he says, you, they might scatter, they might run off, but not me. I've got your back, Jesus. I'm with you to the bitter end. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. Jesus says, actually, Peter, it's going to be a bit worse for you because not only are you going to scatter, you're actually going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And Peter was again like, no, Lord, I just don't know what you're talking about. I would never do that. I've got you. Don't worry about it. But then if we look in Scripture, 
Um, yeah, we'll come to that in a bit. So Peter must have been wondering, like, what was Jesus talking about? Why would he point him out and say that to him specifically? He must be thinking, I am in Jesus's inner circle. I know so much about Jesus. Why on earth would he say that to me? That might, might have been the things that he would have been thinking. Anyway, off they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So Judas has, you know, paid his, got his 30 pieces of silver and he's told the, um, the Jewish council and the soldiers where to come and find Jesus in the garden. So they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and um, they all arrive to come and take Jesus away to arrest him. And the scripture says that um, in um, John, Gospel of John, that Peter cut off the right ear of one of the high priest servants. I can imagine him getting out his sword, like, you're not going to take my Lord! Ah! You know, getting out his sword and doing all this business and cutting off his ear. But Jesus says, no, no, put away the sword. This is not the time for that. And straight away, he heals the God's ear right there and then on the spot. So again, I think Jesus is demonstrating that he's got, sorry, Peter's demonstrating that he's got Jesus' back. But in a matter of hours, yeah, hours, not, not days, not weeks, in a matter of hours, whilst Jesus was standing before the Jewish council, this is what happens next. Can we look at Mark? It says... While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went away in the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses and he swore at them. Probably something like, Oh, I swear on my mum's life, I wasn't there, it's not me. I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. You would disown me. And he broke down and wept. And, G and Luke's account goes a little bit further. It says that Jesus turned and looked at him. Can you imagine that absolute moment of horror that Peter just figured out, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've just literally denied Jesus. His heart must have been filled with conviction and guilt that he denied Jesus, he broke down, and he wept. I bet those next three days when Jesus had been crucified and had been laid in the tomb were absolute torture for Peter. Maybe he was thinking about how he'd let Jesus down and what a terrible person he was, what he would have done differently. He might have put a badge on himself of guilt, He may have said to himself, oh my gosh, just, you're such a failure. You're terrible. Failure. Yeah. 
We're running out of space here. <laughs> he might have had self-pity. You know, when you just really like, oh, like, you're just down in the dumps and you're just, just really pitying yourself. I'm not sure where to put this one maybe here. Hopefully I won't give myself a paper cut. <laughs> Stuck to the new style, this is fashion. He might have been feeling shame. Has anybody ever felt shame? You know, that's a horrible feeling that you get in the pit of your stomach, that shame. You can go down here. He might have been thinking about Jesus' last, what Jesus' last memory would be of him. I bet he was kicking himself and saying, oh gosh, how could I do that? I imagine he was thinking all of those types of things. I don't know if Peter was a broken man, but if it was me, I'd be broken. So what went wrong with Peter? After all that bravado, yeah, I got you, Jesus, don't worry about it. I'm going to go with you to the bitter end. I would rather die before I deny you. So what happened with all that? Peter had been prideful, full of self-assurance. Isn't that right? He thought he had it all together, didn't need anything else. He thought he had it down. Second thing, Peter, paper cut out, Peter fell asleep. When Jesus went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and he took Peter and two of the other special disciples with him, Peter fell asleep. Sometimes we can fall asleep. Sometimes we just literally miss the mark. We're just not on our ball. We're not on the game. We're missing the ball. We're falling asleep. The third thing is that he didn't stick close to Jesus. So it says that he fled. Jesus and all the other disciples, they fled. They just did one. They went. And then it says in the passage that we read that Peter was following at a distance. We can't follow Jesus at a distance. We've got to be right there, up close and personal. So let's think about ourselves. Are we full of assurance? I think we tend to rely on our own ability a lot. But then, like Peter, we often deny Jesus. Not just by saying those words, I don't know the man. But we can deny him by our actions, by our lifestyles, by the way we speak to people, the kind of language we use. We can behave in a way that's not showing that we're submitted to God. Or we can even become complacent and think that we've got all things together. Oh, I know about this. I've heard this all before. This isn't for me. We behave and we speak as if we don't need him. And that's a dangerous place to be. But when we sin against God, when we make those mistakes and when we sell Jesus out, there's a feeling that we get in the pit of our stomach that something's not quite right. And I think that's the Holy Spirit gently guiding us. But sometimes when we feel that, what we do is we actually choose to draw away from God instead of going towards him. And for different people, that can look like different things. So for example, some people stop going to church. Do you ever like look around and think, oh, where's such and such? I haven't seen them for quite a few, few weeks. Some people stop reading their Bibles. Some people stop talking or listening to God. We call that praying. And some people cut themselves off from other Christians. For other people, they may actually put themselves more into religious activities to try and, you know, dampen down that, that sense of guilt and failure. 
But then we fast forward to the scripture that we read first. That, that's a secret knock, by the way. I'm sure, I'm, I think that the disciples had a secret knock, you know, so something like that. So a knock came at the door. And then the message comes from Mary Magdalene and the other women that Jesus has risen and that he has been instructed to t- and that they've been instructed to tell the disciples and Peter the good news. And Peter. Does anyone know that Jesus has called you by name? He says, and Laurie. Yes. He says, and Doreen, he's calling you by name. Peter must have been absolutely flabbergasted. Imagine how he must have how he must have felt with those words of Jesus reaching out to him. All that guilt, that shame, that embarrassment, gone. And Jesus inviting him to meet with him again. So what did Peter do? Look at Luke 24. It says Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. He ran to the tomb. Yes! Jesus is alive and he's calling me. And I can imagine as as he's running, all of that self-pity is gone. That guilt, gone. That failure, gone. It's running, shame, it's gone. It's all gone because of Jesus. So he would have decided that even though he failed Jesus, he's gonna respond to the call. He's gonna go because there's an invitation there. So Jesus, is calling us today and he's calling us by name. He's saying, tell my disciples and Laurie. He's saying, tell my disciples and Emmanuel. Tell my disciples and Charlie. He's saying, he's saying tell them, come. Because all is forgiven. So instead, that's what we're gonna wear. We're gonna wear Our forgiveness. That's the badge that we want to put on. Not those other things. We're also going to wear hope. We want to wear hope. And know that there's going to be a brighter tomorrow. So Jesus is calling us all back to himself. I've forgiven you. All is well. Jesus wants us to know. He wanted Peter to know, I'm not mad at you, Peter. I'm not angry with you. There's an invitation. There's a call that goes out. And we have to respond to that. We have no alternative. The other alternative than not responding to the call of Jesus is basically hell. Essentially, that's what it's going to come down to. If we don't respond to that call, that's where we're going to be. But not even just that, in our own circumstances, if we don't respond to Jesus' call, we get stuck in our guilt. We get stuck in our oppression, our failure. All of those things just keep us down and we cannot live the way God intended us to live. So the passage from Mark 16 that we read earlier, it ends with the proclamation of the angel that Jesus has risen. And the other Gospels and the Book of Acts give an account of how Jesus was seen by his disciples and hundreds of people after the resurrection. 
But more to the point, Jesus met with Peter. Broken people need to meet with Jesus. Instead of denying him three times, Peter had the opportunity to confess his love for Christ. How many times? Three times. Proving that the slate, the slate had been wiped clean. Peter went on to deliver a most amazing sermon when he was filled with the Holy Ghost in Pentecost. That's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2. He called them, he said to them, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And I'm sure that he was able to speak so powerfully, so boldly, because of knowing where, he, where he's coming from and knowing what Jesus did for him. He knew what Jesus forgave him for, even for denying him. So he had a complete transformation, a complete 180. That is the power of the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. So let's let Peter and the resurrection of Jesus be an example of us to us today. If you feel that you may have denied Jesus at times, or even if you feel that you're denying him right now because you haven't answered his call, then put that right. Run to Jesus, just like Peter did. Run towards all that he's called you to be. Run to our God who speaks life into dead things. The God who has already forgiven us, but who is waiting for us to come to him. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you all now to respond to that, if you would. And if anybody would like to pray together, then, then let's do that. Um, I think James looks let's like he wants to... Yeah. I, mean, I, yeah. I think there's a couple of, couple of things I, I would pull out of that uh, word from God this morning. Is If you haven't if you're not a Christian, if you've not personally responded to the gospel before, then I'd like you to stand. You want to become a Christian this morning? I'd like you to stand right now, and Laurie's going to pray for you. Just give you a moment to do that. And then, secondly, I was really struck by the fact in that passage it says they, they're going towards the tomb and it says there's a stone there. It was a very large stone. <laughs> I love that little detail. Some of you this morning are facing very large issues which you don't think you can deal with and you think it's hopeless and I believe God wants to bring the, the hope of the gospel into your situation. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to stand as well. Like, we don't have... You sometimes hear about something called the believer's prayer. Yeah, some things that we may say. And there isn't a set prayer. It's for everyone individually to respond to Jesus in their own hearts. So when I'm on the street and I'm doing evangelism, I try not to lead people in a prayer because people need to make their own confession of faith. So I'm encouraging you now, those who are standing, search your heart right now in this moment. Let's all close our eyes and just centre ourselves on Jesus just for a couple of minutes. Let's think about the Jesus who we heard about last week. He died for us on the cross. Do we believe in that Jesus? Do we believe that he took our sin? That he took the punishment that was meant for us? And that it was nailed to his cross and he died in our place? Do we believe that? If we believe that, we need to confess that with our mouths, that we believe that Jesus has taken our sin.
that he's paid the price for our sin. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's said in his word that he is the Son of God. Do you believe that today? If you believe that, are you prepared and willing to turn away from your life of sin? Are you willing to lay down everything, all of your idols, and follow Jesus? Are you prepared to run? It doesn't mean that running is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be absolutely fine or that you're going to be automatically a new creation. But in scripture, the Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. If you believe that today, I encourage you just to spend one minute just speaking to Jesus yourself and then we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts. We come to you with praise because your son Jesus has risen from the dead. And now we have hope eternal. We know that we will meet Jesus when we die. But not only that, Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us day to day. So that when we do fall, when we do make mistakes, your Holy Spirit is right there to guide us and bring us back to you. So Lord, we pray today for those who have stood and for those who have made a confession of faith. And we pray that you would equip them right now with the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, right now, fall afresh on your children. Right now, transform them in this very moment, in the very place where they stand right now. May they feel your Holy Spirit right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for those of us, Lord, who are weak, those of us who struggle, those of us who know that we need you. We pray, Lord, for an extra comfort today, for extra strength today, for extra power today from the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would remind us that you would never leave us or forsake us. You have said in your word that you will never leave us. And we, and we thank you that you have said that you have sent your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, to guide us. So Lord, we receive all that you have for us today. And we're going to walk today in victory. We're going to walk in life. We're going to walk in the resurrection power in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, anything that I haven't asked, anything that I've missed out, Lord, Fill in the gaps, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.